CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media. Welcome to PQ Beat, a podcast of the Parksville Qualcomm Beach News. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Philip Wolf, editor of the PQB News and Vancouver Island Daily. Over the past five years, the Qualicum Beach Museum has undergone quite a revitalization. Here to talk about that, the importance of curating a community's history, and her own impending retirement plans, we welcome back the manager of the QB Museum. Welcome, Natanya Waddell. Thank you. Can you remind us a little about your background? Where did you grow up and where did you go to school? Yes, I was born in Montreal. When I was eight days old, my mom took a train across the country and a ship across the Pacific to go join my father in Papua New Guinea with my two-year-old brother in tow, and there in Australia as well. I spent the first few years of my life. My mother was from the Czech Republic and my father is British, and while English was the first language that I learned, I grew up mostly in Quebec and did all my schooling and education in French and therefore feel more comfortable in that language. And interestingly enough, I did the same with my children who were born and raised on Vancouver Island, but are perfectly bilingual. How do you think that helps them as they navigate the world? Well, I think it helps them a lot. My son is actually now a French immersion teacher in this school district at 23 years old. And my daughter works for the Ministry of Education in Victoria. And in the capacity of her position, she was required to be perfectly bilingual. Oh, that's fascinating. I am perfectly bilingual in hockey and nothing else. (laughs) Where did you begin your professional career and how did you eventually come to take the post in Qualicum Beach? I have a degree from l'Université de Montréal in literature, archives and records management. I was fortunate to come back to BC and do my practicum in Victoria at the city of Victoria. And the timing was really good because BC had just voted in their FOIPA. Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act. Therefore, there was a lot of work. Early on, I started mostly with universities. I worked at UVic and Royal Roads University as part of teams that were developing the records management programs and doing training for the staff in order to prepare those organizations to deal with this new act. I have to admit that it was by chance that I fell upon the Qualcomm Beach Museum and Archives at a conference. Some volunteers for the organizations were there, and we got chatting, and I offered to volunteer, help them out with their work in the archives, and that led to a few contracts and eventually the position of museum manager, which I've occupied now for just over 12 years. And how have you enjoyed your time? Working for a a small community museum can be challenging, but super rewarding and exciting at the same time. I think those museums have always a lot of potential. When you have the right people come together, it's powerful and things can happen. And I believe they have at our museum. The museum has undergone some big changes. What would you say is the biggest difference between when you arrived and now? I had a dream and a vision for the museum, and early on we started developing new, much-needed policies and procedures, one of which is an Indigenous belonging policy, and that was developed by a young Indigenous person, Jesse Rakalma, from the Qualcomm First Nations. He worked with us at the museum as a summer student, and that relationship has grown and we collaborate still today. But he created this belonging, Indigenous belonging policy to differentiate Indigenous belongings from artifacts. 
And the fact that when those items come in, and they're Indigenous belongings because as opposed to artifacts, they are still in use today. But also to make sure that as they're brought in, we do not acquire them. We merely hold them, notifying the uh, local First Nations that we actually have this item and then it is for them to decide what they wish to do with it. So that's some of the things that we did. There was a desire to adhere to more professional museum standards, and that is in all aspects of the museum functions, and anywhere from our collection management to our exhibit development to our programming and even community engagement events. So we wanted to bring it up to a more professional setting and standard. We worked at implementing current practices and ideologies, and in that, diversifying the stories that we tell, moving away from a mainly settler-based perspective. A lot of the exhibits were initially created by volunteers that had excellent intentions, and they wanted to tell the local story, but it was a narrow story we were telling. So we definitely wanted to broaden that. And we've been very fortunate in that to work closely with Qualcomm First Nations. And we've gone beyond consultation and collaboration and into what I call co-creation. From the start to the finish, we work together at developing the exhibits and tell and inform the public of a lesser known story, history. And uh, I feel very fortunate that we've been able to accomplish that at the museum. And I think there was some wonders about how we did during the pandemic. And I'm almost shy to say that we were very fortunate during the pandemic. The truth is that was a period that was destabilizing for all of us. But financially speaking, we received several resilience grants and also a huge grant from CEREP, the Community Economic Recovery Infrastructure Program. That was a very large grant that has enabled us to restore, do some actual physical work on the historical building on the premises, and that's the original powerhouse of Qualicum Beach. Can you take us a little through the history of the museum and what it represents to the town? The Qualicum Beach Historical Museum Society is the group behind the creation of the museum. It was a small group of history enthusiasts that came together to mark a milestone, and that was the 100th anniversary of the first land title that was granted in the area. And it was granted to Thomas Kincaid in 1884. So this society was officially incorporated in March of 1984. They started operating a small museum out of this original building, this powerhouse building. That was an understanding with the town that they were able to utilize this building. These individuals, and I can name a few just so to recognize, but Coronart Skipsey, Ada and Ray Ducker, Elizabeth Little, James Story, and many more were these passionate individuals that had a dream as well. They created and established the museum that we have today. I believe it's an integral part of our community. It contributes to the town's cultural domain, and I think it has its uh, raison d'être, as we say in French. And it provides a venue for visitors and locals to learn and enjoy the local history. Just how important is it for a community to have a place to tell its story? I think it's essential. There's the old saying, how will we know where we're going if we don't understand where we come from? And I believe in that. And I think that more and more in this electronic world in which we live, it's important for us to take a moment and stop and reflect and see what took place before us. But museums, I think, today are a place for individuals to experience history, even. We talk today about gathering places, so places where groups can come together. We have that with our QB Reads series, so it's a series that is in its fifth season, so we managed to carry it through the pandemic, and it celebrates local authors and the fact that our community likes to read, and so I believe museums can be settings for these types of activities. But I think and hope that it's also an opportunity for people to learn about different perspectives and 
broaden their horizons, perhaps even sometimes question their own way of thinking. Discover what's happening around our province with todayinbc.com. Sign up today to get the latest news right to your inbox and never miss the news that's important to you and your family. From community news in your neighborhood to what's happening in our province, your source for daily news is todayinbc.com. Tell us something about the museum most people might not know. As I mentioned, we have a wonderful uh, Qualcomm First Nations exhibit, and that is a place where you can learn some Pentlatch language words. They are in the process of revitalizing their language, and so there's some part of the language that has been shared in the exhibit. We have the archives, and the archives are not uh, open to the public on a daily basis. You can contact us if you're interested in doing some research, but the archives are located in a separate building in the back, and they are extremely valuable. And for those who don't know what archives are, they're a collection of historical documents and records that provide information about a place or a company or an individual. And archives help us when we develop exhibits, but they also come in handy when, for example, the town is getting ready to celebrate a milestone and they want some historical photos or documents that speak to another time. Of course, we have a very large paleontology collection, thanks to a retired high school biology teacher, Mr. Graham Beard. So that is something that often visitors do not expect. You've decided to retire. What was behind that decision, and is there a succession plan in place for the museum? I experienced a very big health crisis this last fall, and one that shook me to my core. I think these times make us consider life and make us look at our life and consider our priorities And for many years now, I've given myself fully to my job. As I said before, I had a dream for the museum, and I believed in that entity, and I believed in what it could be. The English saying is that I gave myself heart and soul, but interestingly enough, in French, the same expression is body and soul. So I'll say that I gave myself body, heart, and soul to this place, and it's time for me to give time to myself and to give myself some space and some freedom. So I'm looking forward to that. In terms of succession planning, I'll say that there's an ongoing staffing action that's taking place at this time. So you mentioned the health crisis. How are you feeling now and what's next for you? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling stronger. What is next for me is I want to spend some time with my father. He lives in Quebec and during the pandemic, I didn't get to see him for almost three years. He's not getting any younger. And as an archivist, I kind of want to take some time to write my own family's stories, my own history. In some ways, as the archivist of the family, I'm the keeper of that story. And so I feel like I'd like to act on that. But also, I'm going to relax. I'm going to enjoy long walks on the beach. And I'm going to take it easy. Tanya, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. That's this edition of PQ Beat, produced by the Parksville Qualicum Beach News. Thank you for joining us. If you have suggestions for topics or guests, we would like to hear from you. You'll find our contact information on our website, pqbnews.com. Searching for a new home? Make todayshomebc.com your online home base. With easy-to-search listings and connections to local realtors, everything you need is under one roof. Powered by Black Press Media, you can search hundreds of local listings all in one place. Access the top real estate professionals to help you find the perfect home today at todayshomebc.com.